0: You're listening to (laughs) a Mamma Mia podcast. From Mamma Mia, hi, I'm Claire Murphy. Welcome to The Quickie, getting you up to speed daily. Let's talk about January 26.
1: She was around 40 years old when the First Fleet came in and you could just imagine Barangaroo, this fierce, striking woman looking out at these ships as they're coming in and thinking, who are they? And then Realising the moment, you know, weeks later when the penny drops, they're not leaving. She never ceded her sovereignty. That is what January 26 represents. It's the beginning of that.
0: While the discussion is now focused on changing the date we celebrate Australia Day, there are many who use arguments to keep it that are based on an incorrect recollection of Australian history. Today, we're going back to 1788 to remind ourselves what really happened when the first fleet arrived and what Jan 26 means to Australians both old and new. Welcome to History with the Quickie. Today, we're going back to the start of colonisation here in Australia. Not to where human history began in this country because that would require a trip back tens of thousands of years, but to when the British arrived to claim the land as their own. Despite what you might remember from school, the first fleet did not arrive in Australia on January 26. We actually don't have an exact date of that, rather a window, of sometime between January 18 and January 20, 1788. This time is not to be confused with when Captain James Cook arrived here. That was nearly 20 years earlier, first signing the Australian mainland on April 19, 1770. In 1788, after arriving ashore for the first time, sometime in that window, the settlers didn't think it was the right spot to set up camp, so they traveled to Sydney Cove, arriving on January 25th. The next morning, and here's where January 26th comes into play, Sir Arthur Phillip and his entourage stood on the shore and claimed the entire place in the name of King George III, much to the confusion of the Eora people, whose land Phillip had just decided was no longer theirs. The Aboriginal people who were there when the First Fleet arrived were not slaughtered as soon as white man stepped foot on shore. The standard order for all British colonists at the time, where the Indigenous populations of the countries they were claiming were concerned, was to, quote, "...conciliate their affections and live in amity and kindness with them and punish anyone who should wantonly destroy them or give them any unnecessary interruption of their several occupations." The idea was that they would use Indigenous populations to provide them with information and cooperation as they began to populate their territory. Sir Arthur Phillip himself wrote that he'd hoped to, in his words, give them a high opinion of their new guests through kindness and gifts. For the Eora Nation people of the time, the influx of 1,000 white people from across the sea was an interesting turn of events, but at that stage their previous exposure to them was that they came and then left again, so there would be no reason to believe that these new arrivals would do anything different. While the Aboriginal women and children generally stayed well away, warriors kept an eye on the colony and attempted to find out what these men wanted. After establishing that they were in fact men, the warriors tried to establish if it was hunting grounds, food and water, or women they wanted. Negotiations took time as neither spoke each other's language yet. So Philip soon figured out that the description of Aboriginal people given to them by Captain Cook was flawed. They weren't weak or cowardly or childlike. They weren't easy to please. They were, in fact, tough men and women whose spears were more often than not accurate. But what the Eora Nation didn't have was guns, and the colonial soldiers showed them exactly how dangerous they could be. So as the musket balls tore through the wooden shields in a show of British strength communications between the two groups started to break down. The Eora warriors avoided the campsite after that. Then a new problem arose. These white men didn't leave like the others. They were instead attempting to expand beyond the landing site. Eora Nation warriors used strategies to contain them within the boundaries and ensure the safety of their families, attacking unarmed convicts and even the occasional armed soldier if they strayed beyond the borders. In response, Philip sent his soldiers out to teach them that they would not be contained. As white men spread across the land, it would herald the beginning of a painful and violent era for Australia's First Nations people. From a population of 750,000, by 1900, that number had dropped to just 93,000. Children were taken from their families, Systems that still exist today, like policing, government, the justice system, are all weighted heavily against Indigenous Australians. The fight to even be heard in government continues, as does constitutional recognition. It was a struggle to get one word of the national anthem changed to reflect the fact that this country isn't, in fact, young. In the early 1800s, almanacs, calendars and newspapers started to refer to January 26 as the first landing day, or foundation day, And in 1818, Governor Macquarie, on the 30th anniversary after the year before accepting a recommendation from Captain Matthew Flinders to name the continent Australia, acknowledged the day as a public holiday. In 1838, on the 50th jubilee of the day, the public holiday became an annual event in New South Wales. In 1888, 100 years after Philip planted the flag at Sydney Cove, representatives from Tasmania, Victoria, WA, South Australia and New Zealand joined leaders in Sydney to acknowledge the day, the beginnings of the Jan 26 celebrations becoming a national event. In 1901, Australia became a federation, and in 1930, the Australian Natives Association, which was a group formed in Melbourne by white men born in Australia, campaigned to have January 26 celebrated across the country, but not necessarily on January 26. They wanted it to be a Monday, so it would always be a long weekend. The Victorian government agreed in 1931, and by 1935, the other states and territories were on board with Australia Day falling on a Monday. In 1938, while state premiers celebrated the 150th anniversary of January 26, Aboriginal leaders met in Sydney for a day of mourning and to protest their treatment at the hands of white Australia. They asked to be given the same rights as every other citizen. In 1988, on the bicentenary of the colonisation of Australia, the states and territories agreed to celebrate Australia Day on January 26 instead of the long weekend. But it wasn't until 1994, just 27 years ago, that Australia Day was to be officially celebrated on January 26 every year moving forward. This day, renamed Invasion Day by Indigenous Australians, is now the focus of increasing calls for it to be changed. But will, like a one-word change to the national anthem, simply changing the date make a difference? Channel 10 journalist and proud Wajak Noongar woman Narelda Jacobs says for her, it's definitely a start. It will make a significant difference.
1: I mean, a lot of people also want to abolish Australia Day altogether because in their minds there is nothing currently to celebrate until we have equality for all and inclusivity for all. And at the moment, you know, a lot of population feel like they're excluded from a lot of things and not just First Nations people either. So we're going into bat for everyone on the margins, really, everyone who's ever felt excluded, which, you know, that's a big percentage of our population.
0: ABC journalist and Torres Strait Islander Isabella Higgins has been speaking to people across many different backgrounds to find out what they think, and she says the responses can vary. For
2: many, many years it feels like People have been pushing the change the date agenda and really interestingly this week I met young Indigenous people who said to me, you know what, I think it's really important that we remember what happened on January 26th. Maybe we should keep it this way and maybe it should be a reflective moment for the country. And I think the more we get into it and the more I've been talking to others, I get the sense that it is the celebratory nature that perhaps upsets people. One elder who I was chatting to this week said to me, It's so hard every year to watch people dancing on our graves. And I think that is how so many people feel when they see jubilance, people at the pub drinking beers on January 26th. It is still a very raw hurt because we are still living in a time where people only within generations were taken from their family. You know, these are living histories. It's not all really far in the past, this story of dispossession. So in short, I don't know. What the answer is. I really don't. And I don't know if changing the date fixes all of the problems because obviously January 26th, that's the arrival of the British colony on this land. It's not the start of Australia, but Australia itself as a country was built on the dispossession of First Nations people. So if we change the date, we're still celebrating the country that came at a huge cost to Aboriginal peoples. I think it's time for a really sensible, intelligent discussion about who we are as a modern country and what we can do to pay tribute to our first Australians and how we can celebrate our great achievements as a country.
0: Federal MP, Shadow Minister for Indigenous Australians and Wurundjeri woman Linda Burney believes that changing the date would be a significant step towards reconciliation.
3: My personal view is that it is an incredibly complex and difficult day the first Australians and I think there are more people coming to understand what I call truth-telling in our community. Changing the date would be incredibly significant to people who do find it difficult, particularly First Nations people.
0: There are signs that public sentiment is changing. A recent survey found more than 50% of young people want to see the date changed. As a mark of respect, the ABC's youth radio station Triple J moved their Hottest 100 countdown away from January 26. But making these changes sometimes comes at a cost. When a local council expressed its opposition to the date, moving its festivities to another, then-Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull stripped them of their right to hold citizenship ceremonies. Councils have been warned they'll face a similar punishment if they consider doing the same. Cricket Australia just last week announced that they won't be referring to their January 26 Big Bash League as the Australia Day event, resulting in this from current PM Scott Morrison.
1: When those 12 ships turned up in Sydney all those years ago, it wasn't a particularly flash day for the people on those vessels either.
0: So what would it actually take to change the date? Do we need a referendum like we do for changes to the Constitution, a mail-out ballot like we did for same-sex marriage to be recognised? Actually, it's the state and territory leaders who decide the date of a public holiday. No need for a referendum or mail vote or even permission from the Prime Minister. And when you think about it, the states and territories had to be convinced to sign up to the National Day in the first place. There's nothing stopping them from breaking from this mere 27-year-old tradition. But the next question is, what would make a better date? What day would best reflect the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander experience, as well as those who colonised this land? What would also bring in the people from all across the globe who now also call Australia home? Well, that we haven't quite figured out yet.
1: As an alternative date... People are saying, you know, the date of Federation, the 1st of January, but then that's New Year's Day. I floated a bit of an idea last year to have it on the third Monday of the year, which is before January 26th, so that we can reflect on what it was like here before the First Fleet came. Other people say that it's a date that's yet to happen. It's, you know, a date of constitutional change, perhaps. is a date of Makarata or treaties. So I'm kind of a firm believer in, in maybe the Constitution as well the date that that changes, the date that the referendum goes to the people and we change the constitution to at least recognise that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people were here before. I hear a lot that people would like
2: the date of Mabo Day, you know, June 3. That is, you know, a really significant day for Indigenous people. It is the day where this country acknowledged that there was Indigenous settlement first. To me, that's a really important step in reconciliation, the legal recognition of Indigenous rights.
3: And that day the beginning of NAIDOC week, Reconciliation Week, and so forth. There are also suggestions that we bring back Wattle Day in Australia. There are lots of different suggestions. My personal view is if the date is going to change, then you choose a neutral day so that most people could get behind it.
0: This episode of The Quickie was produced by Siobhan Moran-McFarlane and myself, Claire Murphy, with audio production by Ian Camilleri. And if you're keen to shoot us some feedback on the show, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Rate and review us in your favourite podcast app today.
1: Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation.